Thanks, Trey. Thanks, guys, for leading us. That was, uh, that was wonderful. Start to get into Christmas a little bit. Anybody happy to hear a Christmas song this morning? Yeah. Uh, I can officially start listening to Christmas music after Thanksgiving. Before that, I can't do it. So I've uh, got into the playlist on Friday, and it was wonderful, you know. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. My name's Nate, one of the pastors here. If you're watching online, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'd like to take a moment, just pause and, and pray with you and just invite God to speak to us today through his word and through this time together. So will you bow your heads with me and, and let's talk to God. Father, we thank you for your presence with us right now in this place, that you were here before we arrived and you'll be here after we leave and you'll go with us and you'll follow us and, and guide us every step this week, Lord. And in these moments right now, we just open ourselves to you. We open our hearts and our minds and our lives and just lay them before you and invite you to speak to us. Spirit of God, would you remind us of who we are in Jesus? Would you correct us? Would you encourage us? Would you redirect us and remind us again today that we are loved and forgiven and called by name? We offer these moments to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One of my favorite books when I was uh, a young dad with my little kids was uh, the book series, Where's Waldo? Any of you guys know the Where's Waldo books? Any of you ever used those? Uh, yeah, the, the illustrator, Martin Han Hanford, uh, created these, these pictures of scenes of people, and uh, he loved to sit with his kids and have them pick out people in the scene, and one day he created this little guy, Waldo, uh, and uh, he knew he had a hit, and he put it into a, a children's book, and it's sold 40 million copies, 28 different countries around the world. Uh, Where's Waldo is a blockbuster, and it's a, a simple idea to the book. Waldo appears on every page in the book, and your job is to find him in the illustration. And uh, sometimes it's really difficult. It's not easy. He seems pretty well hidden on the pages of the book. Just to give you an example, I thought maybe we could look at a page together this morning. So here's a page from the Where's Waldo book. And uh, can you find Waldo in the picture? All right, this is a, a winter scene. I thought it would fit well for Christmas. But uh, Waldo is in there. Let's zoom in a little bit if we want to go in. A, okay, anybody finding Waldo yet in the picture? He's there. Yeah, oh, someone's found him. Let's, zo let's zoom in, zoom in a little bit more. And uh, let's throw a circle around Waldo. Give me that. There he is right there, just in case you were having a hard time finding him. When you, when you find Waldo on the page, there's this sense of accomplishment. Like you're like, yeah. I got him, except if somebody circles him, then it's not such, the, you know, not such a highlight. Uh, but the illustrator is really smart in how he laid out the book. The first page, there's not a whole lot going on. There's a few people, but Waldo is pretty easy to find. And as you go through the book, it gets harder and harder. To the last page of the book is just filled with wannabe Waldos. They all look like Waldo, except for some small distinguishing features. And so you have to work really hard. And you can be looking right at Waldo and not realize you're looking at him. He seems hidden. He seems hard to find. When I think about how God interacts in our world today, how he interacts with my life and your life, there are days when God seems hidden from us, when it's hard to find him. And if you're like me, you go into a day sometimes and you want to find him, you want to see him. You're looking for him, and yet he still seems hidden from our, our sight. There's those days when it's just, it's just difficult to find. There's other days that it's easy to find them. Some people would call those rainbow days when, when the sunset takes your breath away or you, you fall in love with someone or the new baby enters the world or, or that parking spot in front of the grocery store opens up just in time for you. You know, it's like, it's a rainbow day. You know, God is here with me at the grocery store. Uh, some days are like that, but then there's other days when it's, it's just difficult to see 
what God is doing and how he's operating in your life. The, the relationship maybe ends or that boredom continues or the bills are due or you might get that diagnosis and the cancer has returned and you're thinking, I don't know about today. It's gonna be a bad day and you're wondering, what is God doing? For some of us, Christmas is a rainbow day. We just love it. We look forward to it. We, it's a wonderful day for us with those that we care about and love and for others of us, Christmas, maybe especially this year, it's not always a rainbow day. Sometimes Christmas can be a, a difficult day, a cloudy day, a dark day. And in the midst of that, we need to remind ourselves of what Christmas is all about. The real gift of Christmas, the best gift of Christmas is Jesus. And one of the reasons he's the best gift of Christmas is that Jesus helps us to see God. Jesus opens up to us the reality of God in our world. Even in the days that are difficult and, and hard, Jesus sort of kicks open the door of heaven and allows us to see that God is present, that he is here, that he cares about what we're facing and what we're going through. Jesus is sort of like that circle on the Where's Waldo page. He just says, here's where God is, right here. You can see him, and he's in your life. He cares about you. Jesus highlights the presence and power of God in our everyday normal lives on those Monday mornings after a long weekend off of work and you head back to work and you say, what, God, what are you doing? Jesus says, he's right here. You can see him. This Christmas season, we're going to talk about the greatest gift of Christmas. We're going to spend some weeks focusing on, on Jesus and, and the gift he is in our lives. Jesus is so, so unique. He changes our lives. He gives us hope. He saves us from death. He heals our brokenness. He's the greatest gift of Christmas. Jesus is like the red present under the Christmas tree, just standing out and reminding us that there's more to this life than what we see. And this morning, I want to walk with you specifically through how Jesus shows up and helps us see God. Even when God sees seems hidden to us, Jesus helps us see him. When God seems silent, Jesus helps us hear from God. When God seems distant, Jesus reminds us that he is not distant, but he is right here alongside us, even today. The next time you've got a big decision to make and you're wondering, what would God have me do? I want you to look into Jesus. The next time you have a minor decision to make and you're wondering what God would have you do, I want you to explore what Jesus said and did the next time you're thinking about yourself and wondering if God really cares about you, I want you to reflect on Jesus. The next time you're beating yourself up because you messed up again and things are getting hard and it's because of you, I want you to read about Jesus and be reminded of what God thinks of you and that God is present with you. Jesus reveals God to us. We can't read the mind of God. We don't know what God thinks about, but Jesus helps us understand what's going on inside of God's heart and God's mind for us. Each week I get up here in front of you and I, I talk and I say a lot of words. I talk for a long time. And, and I think about what I'm going to say. I, I work on it uh, and I, I write it down and I, I practice it and I think about it. And if I just stood up in front of you and just thought about the thoughts that I was preparing and I didn't say anything, it, it would be awkward, right? I mean, <laughs> you'd just be sitting there and I'd be like, you know, I want you to read my mind. It doesn't work that way. We, you, you can't know my mind. I have to put my thoughts into words and say them out loud to you. And then you can start to know what I'm thinking, what, I'm, what I want you to hear, what God might have placed on my heart for you today. And that's why Jesus is the word of God. He's called the word of God because he, he helps us know what God is thinking about, what's in God's heart. He expresses God to us through words, just like I just, I'm doing right now with my words. Where, does we, where do we see this in scripture? I want you to go with me in the Bible to John chapter one. And we're gonna look at where Jesus is called the word of God. 
and talk some about how he's the greatest gift at Christmas, and one of the gifts he brings to us is, is the word. He is the word. So John chapter 1, verse 1, right at the beginning, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four books in the New Testament, tell us the story of Jesus' life, and John is the fourth one, and his is a very unique perspective, point of view of Jesus's life. They all, all these books were written by eyewitnesses of Jesus or those who talked to eyewitnesses. They bring different points of view of how Jesus lived and taught and, and how he exposed himself to the world around him. And John takes on a, a wholly different way. And we see it right at the beginning, how John starts. And in the, the book of John, he, he refers to himself as, he doesn't say like, I was with Jesus or we went to see Jesus. He says, the disciple that Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself, the disciple that Jesus loved. Just imagine thinking of yourself that way. When someone said, who, who are you? And you, th- you said, I'm, I'm the disciple Jesus loves. You know? Instead of, I'm the disciple that keeps messing up. Or I'm the disciple that's really busy and hurried in life. Now, if we, we saw ourselves as the one that Jesus loves, isn't that an incredible way of thinking of yourself? That's how John saw himself. So verse 1, chapter 1 of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Who is John talking about? This word, this creator of everything that we see, it's Jesus. He makes it clear that he's talking about Jesus. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is a different John. This is the one who baptized, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. John himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Isn't that a miracle that we get to be the sons and daughters of God, adopted into his family? And then verse 14, if you're going to memorize any verse this morning, I want you to memorize verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John says Jesus put on flesh. He he restricted himself to time and space and entered into our world. And John says we saw him. We saw his glory. We experienced the presence of God through Jesus. We saw the miracles and the things that he did. We experienced the glory of God in all truth and in all grace. John says Jesus is the word of God, the words of God. Jesus puts a circle around God's presence in our lives and in our world. God, he's God's light in dark places. The parenthood of God is, ex- is exposed to us through Jesus. Jesus allows us to see our Father God and understand what God is thinking about. Because God speaks in, in many ways. God, so the Spirit of God comes and kind of pokes your heart to get your attention. He'll kind of knock on your shoulder. Sometimes creation speaks loudly for God. The majesty and the beauty of creation reminds us of our Creator. There's times when the Scriptures, the Bible, helps us understand how God operated in the past and how He's operating today. The Bible speaks to us. But in all these ways, God speaks. But in many things, He speaks. But none more clearly than through Jesus. Jesus is the exact imprint of God in our physical reality. 
He's, he mirrors God perfectly to us. You might be trying on outfits in the next few weeks as you're getting ready for that Christmas get-together, that Christmas party, new suit, new, new dress, whatever it might be. And if you're in the dressing room at the department store, we know this now because they've done research on it. There's been stories written about it. When you look in that mirror, that mirror is not an accurate reflection of you. They make you look taller or thinner. They, they figured this out. There's been articles written about it, the department store mirrors. So when you try on that outfit at the store and you're like, man, I look good, and then you get home and you're like, what happened? It's because... <laughs> It's because the mirror doesn't give you a, a true perspective. It's warped. But Jesus is not warped. Jesus gives us this perfect reflection of our creator God. He is God's word and God himself. And John goes back to Genesis chapter 1 as he begins his story about Jesus. He says, Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, the new creation, God moving in the world in a new way. And John says, I'm going to borrow that. I'm going to tell you right now there's a new creation happening again. And God is moving in a new way in our midst. And so he captures some of that Genesis chapter 1 language. Genesis 1, 1 through 3. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So we see John starts the exact same way. In the beginning. He's, he's trying to help his listeners go back to Genesis chapter 1. And John writes about the light. He says, the light has come into the world. That's the first thing that God created. And he talks about how Jesus created all things. So he goes back to the creation story. And then John says that God spoke words. And we see that in Genesis 1. God created through his words. He said, let there be light. And there was light. That's how God creates, using his words. And John says, let me introduce you to that word of God. His name is Jesus. And John wrote his letter in the Greek language, common language of the day. And the Greek word for word that he uses here is logos. That's the Greek word, logos. I want to share with you some early manuscripts of John's writing. The Jewish people would, would copy the originals so they could pass down God's word and the truth of God to other generations. And so they would have the original and a blank sheet of paper, and they would begin to write and make a copy. And they would count how many letters are on each line and how many words and how many lines on the page. And if at any moment, maybe they're halfway through, halfway through a line, and they've got 15 words here, but there's 14 on the original, they would take that copy and throw it away and start over again because they wanted to capture it perfectly. We have hundreds of copies and manuscripts of the New Testament that we can look at. It's part of why I believe that the Bible you're holding in your hand or maybe have on your phone, the Bible app, is accurate, is, is trustworthy. Because the Old Testament words we have now are the same words Jesus was looking at 2,000 years ago. Because we have a copy that dates before Jesus that they can compare it to. And so I want to put on the screen here, this is P66, Papyrus 66. And it's the Gospel of John written in the Greek language. And it dates back to about 200 AD. But 100 years after John wrote this down, here's a copy that we can look at today. It was discovered in the 1950s by some young men in uh, Egypt. And they found it in a large pot in a cave in the Egyptian wilderness. And they brought it into Cairo to a marketplace. And there, uh, a Martin Bonhomer was there looking for ancient books and writings. And he found this and he bought it and he took it to the University of Geneva in Switzerland. And it's still there today. So you can go and look at this original uh, manuscript, this copy of John's gospel written in the Greek language on papyrus that's dated back to, again, 200 AD. So close to the original writing. I want to zoom in a little bit and highlight right at the top, this is the word logos, the first time it appears in John's gospel in the Greek language. He wrote, he wrote logos, the word of God, the word he would, first time he wrote it, and 36 different times he writes it in the gospel. So he talks about God's word 
being expressed to us. And logo was a familiar word to the Greek people and the Jewish people in the first century. It was a way of capturing this idea that God is speaking to us, that God is communicating with us, announcing his presence to us. When we see the word, word, and logos, it means that God has like built a bridge so that we can encounter him in our lives today. This is how the people would understand John as he wrote this word logos. God is speaking and moving and announcing himself through the person of Jesus. When you're wondering what God is like, look at Jesus. When you're wondering what God would have you do, look at Jesus' example. He is the greatest gift of Christmas because he helps us see God and know God. Jesus is the word of God. What a gift for us. There was a time not too long ago when I was needing to talk with a friend, and they had begun to think about themselves in a new way. They'd begun to identify in some new ways. And I didn't think it was going to be the best way for them to start moving forward in life. I thought that maybe God had something else for them, that, that this new way of thinking about themselves was actually going to be harmful to them. It was going to hurt them. And I wanted to talk to them about that. It wouldn't be an easy conversation. I knew that going in. So I thought about how I wanted to talk to them. And you might say, well, Nate, let them live their life. Who are you to tell them? you know, how they should live their life. And you've got a point there. I can't write anyone else's story. But love for them compelled me. I love them and care about them. And I don't want them to suffer or go through hardship. So I want to talk to them about this. And I didn't know how to talk to them. I said, okay, God, what would you have me do? How am I supposed to talk to this person? And I decided I was going to look at how Jesus talked to people. And maybe he'd help me understand what God would have me do. And so when you look at Jesus, the life of Jesus, how he interacted with people, when he was talking to someone one-on-one, he often asked questions. When he was talking to someone about their identity, he would ask a question, and then he would listen. And then he would ask another question, and he would listen. He, he seldom made statements at people when he was talking to them one-on-one. Now, he made a lot of statements, right? He taught in front of thousands of people, in front of his disciples. He taught and made statements. But when he was one-on-one with someone, often he would ask a question and just listen. So I said, okay, I'm going to do what Jesus did. So I sat with his friend, and I asked questions, and I listened. And I asked a question, and I listened, listened and I trusted that that the Spirit of God was moving in their heart. And as we were in this conversation together, that God would use it to cause them to think about the decisions they were making, the choices they were making. And Jesus helped me know how to do this because he set the example. He's the Word of God. He helps me know what God would have me do. And this is exactly why John wrote down his stories about Jesus. He tells us at the end of the Gospel why he wrote the stories of Jesus. John 20 Verse 30, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. I'd like to know some of those stories, right, that aren't recorded. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John says, I'm writing this to you so you might understand and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he came to give you life, a different kind of life. Verse 1, chapter 1, he writes, And Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all people. The word of God, the mind of God is revealed through Jesus, tells us that God brings light and life to all who believe, to every person that orders their life and organizes their life and surrenders their life in the way of Jesus. That That we will know life and light. There's this unique image that we get in the New Testament, a word picture of what it means to be the word of God. When when John says that Jesus is the word of God, of God. There's this word picture that the New Testament gives us. It, it shows up several different places in the New Testament. Probably the first time we see it is in Paul's letter to his friends in Ephesus. And towards the end of the letter, in chapter 6, he writes these words. He says to his friends, Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
The word of God is the, is the sword of the spirit. This is this image, a word picture we get. The sword is a picture that, that Paul first gives us here for the word of God. And Paul's writing about when you go into your day, you need to be ready. You need to be on guard because there's challenges in the day. And he says, sometimes you, you kind of stumble into your day and you're off guard. Have you ever had those kind of days where you wake up after the alarm goes off and you put on a hat and you grab a Pop-Tart and you jump in the car and just kind of head out into your day? And you get caught off guard. The day comes at you and you're kind of reeling. You're kind of knocked back. You're not ready. And Paul says, I don't want that for you. I want you to be on guard. Not caught off guard. I want you to be on guard. He says, so I want you to prepare for your day. And he says, it's like going into battle. Sometimes going into your day is like going into battle. So he says, put on the armor. And he, he talks about what the armor looks like in, in Ephesians chapter 6. And he says, put on these different pieces of the armor. And most of them are defensive. You know, they're to block and to protect and to cover us all except for this sword of the spirit, which is an offensive weapon. It's defensive as well, but it's, it's the only offensive weapon that he writes about. He says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. Well, Jesus is the word of God. And so in that way, Jesus is like a sword in our lives as well. Later in the book of Hebrews, the writer writes these words, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts all the way through to where soul and spirit meet, to where joints and marrow come together. It judges the desires and the thoughts of our hearts. He says the logos of God is alive and active. It's like a sword that's able to cut to the core of who we are. Its words has the ability to change us. It's, it like cuts away things that are not necessary, things that are, are dying inside of us, sinful habits and beliefs. It, it takes those away. The word of God is so effective. It's not just sharp on one side. It's a double-edged sword. No matter how it's moving through your life, it is effective and does what it's supposed to do. And I've often wondered what the writer meant when he said the word of God is alive and active because I usually think about it as, as the book. How is this words on a page? How is this alive and active? But when I think about the word of God being Jesus... Well, Jesus is alive and active and moving in me and us and changing us and challenging us. God's word is so effective that, that Jesus transforms our lives. Do we see Jesus in this sword showing up any other places in the New Testament? There's one other place I, I find it is in Revelation chapter 1, last book of the New Testament. Another book that John wrote uh, he wrote this later on in his life, towards the end of his life. He had this vision of things that were yet to come. And he had a vision of Jesus, his friend Jesus, uh, the one who loved him. He had a vision of Jesus. And he writes it down in Revelation chapter 1. It's an incredible description. I just want to give you a part of it. Verse 16, John gets to this place. In Jesus' right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth, where the words come out, right? A sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Seems like an appropriate response to this image he saw, that you would fall down at his feet. As the word, Jesus brings a sword that separates our old life from our new life. A sword that, that speaks to us the truth. A sword that, that changes us and how we see ourselves and how we see others. And the work that Jesus does in our lives, sometimes it can be painful. If you think about a sword... You think about things being cut away. There's, there's pain to that. There's loss in that. But it's important work that we should be open to. We want to be transformed by the Spirit of God, by the words of Jesus. And sometimes with a sword, you might get this image of like someone hacking at something, you know. So maybe it's better to think of it like a, a surgeon's scalpel. Specific, close, intimate, taking out things in our lives that, that do not glorify God, do not honor how he made us. 
As David writes in the Psalms, search me and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the life everlasting. We invite Jesus to, to, to have surgery on us, to change us, transform us. I want to encourage you this morning when, when Jesus wants to bring the sword to you to just open yourself to him. Say, here I am. Do, do the work you need to do to transform my life. About three months after Angela and I got married, she woke me up on a Saturday morning about 4 a.m., and she was having this pain in her side. And she said, Nate, something's not right. I'm really hurting. There's this sharp pain in my side. I don't know what to do. I've been up for an hour. I don't know what to do. And I was a little groggy, and you know, being the sensitive new husband that I was, I said, well, if you wait an hour and a half, we can go to the urgent care instead of the emergency room. It'll be cheaper. Can you, <laughs> can you hold on for, an hour, for 90 minutes? Can you make it? I'm just, I'm just so caring and sensitive, you know? Uh, she helped me wake up a little bit more, and I realized I was being foolish. So uh, we got to the doctor, and the, the doctor diagnosed some things going on. And the, over the next six months, Angela had four surgeries to take things out of her that were causing pain, that were killing her on the inside. Now imagine if she s- sat with the surgeon, and he said, here's what we need to do. And she said, mm, no, no, I'm not interested. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want you cutting into me. I don't, want, I don't want scars, I don't want stitches, I don't want the recovery, I'll just deal with it. If she had said that to the surgeon, she wouldn't be with us today. It would have, it would have taken her life. So Jesus comes to us with this sword, the words of God. He is the word of God, and he says, let me work, let me do things in you. And the best thing we can do is simply surrender to it, because he made us, and he knows us, and he loves us, and he's trustworthy, and just say, do the work you need to do in my life. John says that Jesus came, the glory, that that he saw the glory of Jesus, the one and only Son of God, and that he came full of grace and truth. This is the gift of Jesus as the word, grace and truth. You know, a double-edged sword, maybe those are the two sides of the sword, grace and truth. That we need both in our lives, that the word does both things in our lives. There's, There's that truth that sometimes is difficult for us to hear. Somebody's ever had to tell you the truth that you didn't want to hear, it's, it's painful. It can be, at first you might fight it a little bit. But the truth, we need the truth, and then we need grace to bring healing, to put us back together again. We need both truth and grace. They work together. Truth is not truth without grace, and grace is not grace without truth. We need both working in our lives with the word of God speaking to us. Truth cuts and grace heals. It's, both are, are needed, the refining fire that burns away our fallen nature and that water of life that creates in us a new heart, grace and truth. The word of God, Jesus, brings grace and truth into our lives. And as we allow him to work in us, as John says in chapter one, we are filled with light and life and we can offer something to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, our, co- our coworkers, our friends at school. We can... We can bring light and life to them as God is transforming us because of Jesus, the word. So I want to end this, end this time together by praying that God would use us in that way, that he would transform us and allow us to be light and life in our neighborhoods, in our homes. And we're going to finish this morning just with some prayer together. So I want to invite you to stand with me right now. And I want to invite our, our prayer team to come up. Every Sunday we have prayer volunteers that come to the front here and, and are available to pray with you if there's a need in your life or something going on in your world or God's speaking to you this morning and you'd like someone to pray with you, there'll be volunteers up front here just to pray with you and lift you up this morning so you don't have to walk out of here with that, that heaviness on your heart. 
Over the last few weeks, we've talked about how we celebrate generosity here. And so as you leave, if you've got those connection cards or any offering, you want to put those in the joy boxes in the back. There you go. We celebrate generosity. We get excited about being generous with joy. And so those boxes are there along the back wall. All right. Really, Bill's really excited this morning. Uh, so thanks for being here this morning. Let's pray together and just invite God to continue to transform us. We pray to bow your heads with me. Let's talk to God. Father, we thank you for this time together in your word, a time of singing songs and reflecting on who you created us to be. Father, we thank you for this season that we are entering into. And Jesus, we thank you for being the greatest gift of Christmas. You are the word of God, the sword of the spirit that transforms our lives. We invite you. We open ourselves to you and ask that you would cut away anything in us that does not belong, anything in us that that stands against what you created us to be. And would you create in us something new? We are pursuing new life in you, Jesus, and we ask that you would bring that today. Allow us to be so filled with your light and your love that it flows out to those around us. Allow us to be agents of change in our families and in our neighborhoods. Bless us, Father, as we uh, allow you to flow through us and bless others. We're thankful for this time together this morning and invite you to continue to work in our lights, in our, our hearts and our lives today. And all of this is because of Jesus, your one and only Son, who put on flesh and came into the world who is the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to go with God. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Amen.